0: The following program is a PBS Wisconsin original production.
1: Begin this biennium in the best fiscal position we've ever been in our 175 years of statehood.
2: Governor Tony Evers delivers his 2023 state budget address. The primary election for state Supreme Court is on Tuesday. And despite their struggles, Ukraine refugees work hard in their new surroundings. I'm Frederica Freiberg. Tonight on Here and Now, we hear from top lawmakers on both sides of the aisle as the months-long budget process gets underway. Zach Schultz reports on how a sitting state Supreme Court justice who hasn't endorsed a candidate is having such a big impact on Tuesday's primary. And Stephen Potter speaks with Ukraine refugees resettled in Wisconsin. It's Here and Now for
3: February 17 funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin.
2: Governor Tony Evers has proposed the largest budget in state history, with historic investments in public schools and local government.
1: We carry the weight of posterity. While we must find ways to save when we can, we have a duty to invest in needs that have been long neglected.
2: Wisconsin's $7 billion budget surplus is fueled in part by the fact Republicans in the legislature and Governor Evers could not agree on how to spend the surplus two years ago. Now, Evers says the state needs to make up for lost time. And he's proposing an additional $2.6 billion investment in K-12 education over the next two years.
1: Tonight I'm calling on the legislature to join me in doing what's best for our kids by approving the largest increase in K-12 schools and education in our state's history.
2: That includes $1 billion in additional aid to schools including revenue boosts of $350 per pupil in the first year of the budget and an additional $650 in year two. Historically, the state has struggled to pay for two-thirds of public school costs as promised, but this budget would put state funding eight points above that. Evers would also invest an extra $1 billion into special education funding and $270 million for student mental health. Let's make sure every kid in Wisconsin has access to school-based mental health services. The budget would include a permanent boost to funding for local governments, using an idea Republicans have complained Evers took from them.
1: Last month, I pledged my support for a budget provision to send 20% of the state sales tax revenue back to our local communities for shared revenue. And I'm excited to share that our budget includes that proposal. I don't care where it came from providing more than a half a billion dollars more per year in new resources to invest in key priorities, like public safety. We have to get this done, folks.
2: A large part of the budget conversation dating back to the election last fall was about tax cuts.
1: So I'm delivering on my promise for a 10% middle class tax cut and providing $1.2 billion in tax relief for working families.
2: Republicans have floated the idea of moving to a flat tax, which would primarily benefit wealthy taxpayers.
1: Under my plan, if you're a single filer making less than $100,000, or a married joint filer making less than $150,000, the cornerstone of my tax plan will cut your taxes by 10%. That's real, sustainable relief. That will keep income taxes low now and into the future without causing devastating cuts to priorities like public schools and public safety.
2: The biggest new proposal unveiled Wednesday was Evers' plan to create a paid family leave program.
1: Tonight I'm announcing that we're going to create a statewide program that will provide most private sector workers with Wisconsin paid family and medical leave for 12 weeks. And we're going to do it by investing more than $240 million in state funds to get that program started.
2: Evers says, similar to the state's unemployment plan, paid family leave would eventually be funded by fees paid by workers and businesses. The budget address is the governor's last chance to direct the debate. It now goes to the legislature, where Republicans have already promised to ignore the entire proposal. But Evers ended his speech with one last plea for Republicans to consider his ideas. Let's dispose of the
1: notion that priorities in this budget are somehow extreme or far-fetched. I promise you this, in this budget, there's more that unites us and divides us. These aren't Republican or Democrat priorities, they're Wisconsin priorities, areas where we should be able to find common ground.
2: The state budget is now in the hands of the Republican-controlled legislature. Next, we turn to the co-chair of the powerful budget-riding committee, Representative Mark Bourne. We sat down with him at the state capitol and started by asking his reaction to the governor's budget.
0: The overall reaction, um, disappointment. Um, It's really um, not a realistic budget, unsustainable, massive spending. Tax increases um, in a variety of areas in a variety of ways. Um, Growing government, new programs, even found a way to work a new agency in. Um, That was kind of a surprise for some of us. Um, So disappointing, certainly not headed in the right direction. Um, Not one that we can really work with. We're gonna work from base again. We're gonna have to start from from current law and, and build from there on a budget that works for the people of Wisconsin.
2: What will your spending priorities be?
0: Um, I think um, no surprise to folks, both because the people of Wisconsin are what are who tell us you know what those priorities should be, um, but also it's been pretty consistent for several years now that there's some real top priorities that we keep building on, from education to infrastructure investments to healthcare. Um, I think there's maybe one slightly new one this time that's been getting a lot of discussion and and, and, uh, work done on it already um, to look for ways to fund local governments in a a better way or to make more sustainable long-term funding there. And that's certainly one that we're working on. I think maybe, um, hopefully, it's an opportunity for compromise, we'll see. The governor certainly approached it in some ways that we will not. Um, We're not gonna increase taxes in cities across Wisconsin, which is part of his plan. Um, That's not the model, but investments of new sustainable funding sources with changes, with reforms, with um, some accountability, with innovation,
2: as to that common ground around shared revenue and money going back to local governments, as you know, the governor has announced that he would like to take 20% of the state sales tax and return that to local governments. It is, and and he credits uh, the Republican legislature with coming up with that idea. Is that the plan?
0: Uh, it's not. The plan, the details are certainly not settled. That's what I was just referring to. You know, he took some different approaches with some tax increases coupled with... with that 20% and things like that, we're not gonna do that. We have to make sure that it's focused on innovation, the future, some reforms, um, not just the same old, same old at a local level, but still new sustainable funding for the future that can help those local governments provide the services that they need to provide in our communities. So there'll be some parallels, but there's definitely gonna be some differences too.
2: I know that in the past, Republicans have um, talked about being in favor of some kind of family leave, and that was something uh, that was announced um, in the governor's uh, budget address. Uh, Are you in favor of that, or how might your model be different?
0: Um, I think it's unlikely that there would be a a brand new program of that level in in a a state budget. That's really something that should run through legislation, through the normal committee process, debate, discussion with stakeholders, with communities of interest, um, and certainly the plan that he put forward is, you know, it'll be removed as policy.
2: You spoke about a uh, priority being K-12 um, education. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is, uh, wants to boost spending $2.6 billion. What's your number?
0: Well, our number will be decided over the next few months in the budget deliberations. Um, and That's the way this always works. So certainly I'm not gonna have a number today, but I know that we will invest in education.
2: What's your reaction to the nearly $300 million toward the Brewers Stadium?
0: I think that, um, like anything that's new or sizable, the devil's always in the details. I think we've got a lot of work to do to look at that. I think we need to make improvements to the governor's plan for sure um, and have a lot of discussions about um, that. But um, certainly, I think you know, folks generally want to work towards keeping the Brewers in Wisconsin and Milwaukee hopefully for a very long
2: time. Uh, As to um, tax cuts, uh, Governor Evers' budget cuts about $1.5 billion, um, looks at a 10% uh, cut for earners, married earners, under $150,000. What's your reaction to that, first of all?
0: Um, Well, the simple reaction is overall tax cuts are good, um, generally speaking, but of course the governor's budget cuts a few taxes in one spot and then raises a whole bunch in, in other areas. Um, so it's, it's really not tax reform, it's not really tax cuts, it's more of um, we'll, we'll do a few nice things here and then do a whole bunch of things that are the wrong direction on tax policy in other areas and you certainly won't see a Republican budget that's gonna look like that when it comes to tax policy.
2: Will we see a flat tax in the Republican budget?
0: I think that um, for a while now, we've been you know, moving in that direction, and I think that's a great goal. Whether or not we'll get to a flat tax in this budget, I think remains to be seen, but I think we'll continue to do tax reform that moves us in that direction to make us more competitive in the Midwest with most of our neighboring states having a flat tax.
2: If you can't come to agreement uh, with where to spend this extraordinary surplus, will you just allow a lot of that to roll over to the next biennium?
0: Um, Our budget will invest in priorities, both with one-time money, that's the money in the savings account, so to speak, as well as our ongoing revenues, and um, so I don't think you'll see our budget with um, you know holding a lot of money. We'll certainly save for a rainy day. Our rainy day fund's the strongest it's ever been, so we may keep a little bit money in in, in the balancer in there, um, but we won't keep strong surpluses. If the governor's veto causes that, that's a different story. that's his decision, then. We'll send him a budget that is reasonable, invests in priorities, has tax reform to return money to the taxpayers during these inflationary times. Um, if his decisions, like last time, some of his line of vetoes left some money in the, in the state savings account, so to speak, then, then that'll be what happens. But that's not the way we'll craft the budget.
2: All right. Representative Mark Bourne, thanks very much. Thank you. Following the budget address, we spoke with Jason Stein. Research Director of the Wisconsin Policy Forum, for his take on the budget numbers. What stands
4: out in this address? I mean, really, the really substantial funding increases for a whole variety of priorities. You start with schools, healthcare, things like that, things that we would traditionally be expecting, but then you throw in uh, more than $290 million for Miller Park, uh, $240 million for family medical leave, $750 million for broadband. So even those sort of non-traditional priorities, easily above a billion dollars, just those three. How does this compare to previous budgets? I mean, is unlike anything we've ever seen before in our numbers going back 40 years. So it's it's really unprecedented. And so it does allow for both parties to think big, whether that's on the tax cut side or on the spending side. You know, at the same time, uh, a lot of substantial uh, increases here that will lower the state's reserves um, substantially, which is appropriate. But I think that the spending that is happening may be difficult to sustain in the next budget.
2: As to the tax cuts, uh, the governor regards them as uh, tax cuts uh, for the middle class, and that is as opposed to um, what we understand that the Republican budget riders are interested in, which may well be a flat tax. How do, how do these two uh, plans compare?
4: Sure. I mean, the first thing is the the governor has a mix of both tax increases that would primarily fall on upper income earners and tax decreases that would primarily be for low and middle income earners. So whereas the Republican plan is, is you know, essentially putting forward a, a, ta- a very large tax cut, you know, that also would be difficult to sustain in future years. Uh, it would over a four year phase in eventually ramp up to $5 billion a year.
2: Do you feel like there's more compromise uh, to be had in this budget?
4: The governor's big signature proposals, you would not expect them to go through as passed. But in areas like aid for local governments, which we call shared revenue, in perhaps on uh, Miller Park or or the Brewers Stadium now, American (laughs) Family Field, um, you know, in some of those areas, uh, repealing the personal property tax, you could expect to see, you know, some give and take and maybe an ultimate compromise proposal.
2: In election news, for the past two years, every major decision by the Wisconsin Supreme Court has been made by one man, Justice Brian Hagedorn. Elected as a conservative, Hagedorn most often gives them a four to three advantage. But sometimes he sides with the three liberals, infuriating his conservative colleagues. Here and now, senior political reporter Zach Schultz tells us how Hagedorn's independent streak on the court has become a factor in the primary election coming up next Tuesday, February 21st.
4: I think it's no secret that uh, he and I disagreed on some very significant uh,
1: constitutional questions.
5: Of the four candidates running for the Wisconsin Supreme Court, Daniel Kelly is the most outspoken about Justice Brian yeah, Hagedorn. So
1: it's not personal opinion, um, it's not preferences, it's, this is what the law requires. And so we simply disagree Uh, on a profound level on some significant issues.
5: Kelly and Hagedorn were on the court together for for one year before Kelly lost his reelection bid in 2020. They were on opposite sides Uh, of the Wisconsin legislature versus Palm, the case that overturned Governor Tony Evers' ability to issue safer at home orders to battle the COVID-19 pandemic. After Kelly lost, Hagedorn's prominence increased. and he, he sided with the Liberals on the court in decisions to keep the Green Party presidential candidate off the ballot in two thousand and twenty and to not go forward with multiple cases where Donald Trump tried that's to overturn the election by throwing out absentee ballots in Dane and Milwaukee counties.
1: So Justice Hagedorn uh, uh, was uh, elected by the people of Wisconsin. and um and, you know, when his term is up, he, you know, if he chooses to run again, uh, he will need to make a report of his work to uh, to the people of Wisconsin.
5: Brian Hagedorn declined to comment for Brian, this story. His term on the Supreme Court well, is not over until good 2029. Good but that hasn't stopped Kelly from using been Hagedorn been as a foil, telling voters they shouldn't vote for China fellow conservative candidate Jennifer Doro because she could be another Hagedorn.
4: We should not have to elect a candidate to find out whether or not they really truly are a constitutional conservative. That was the position we were in with Brian Hagedorn, that it didn't work out so well.
5: Jennifer Doro had little to say about Justice Hagedorn, except to note whoever wins this election will be serving with him on the court.
1: You know, I can't speak for him, right, or his methodology. What I can do is focus on what I will bring to the court, and that is an unwavering commitment to be fair and impartial to apply the law, to the facts of each case, to bring collegiality to the court as well, to work with all of the justices on the bench as we wrestle with really important issues.
5: The two Uh, liberal candidates also don't want to be Um, directly compared to Hagedorn uh, because he's a conservative, but they uh, do like um, his image as independent.
3: When Dan Kelly called out Brian Hagedorn as quote, supremely unreliable,
1: because he voted against the block and exerted his independent thought, and he's labeled as supremely unreliable. Like it's a bad thing. I see him you know doing what judges and justices hopefully do. has not become so rigid in an ideology that you can't even listen to the facts or be moved by the facts that are in front of you. And I think that is what we all should aspire to be able to do is move inside that space, because the facts that, you know can sometimes pull you in those different directions.
5: If Protozewitz or Mitchell win, they would create a liberal majority. Uh, Could voters expect them to kind of occasionally the frustrate the their supporters reversed, by showing independence? Fact. I
1: think the and... idea that you can anticipate what people rule is why our courts lose legitimacy. It should always have some, again, that curiosity of the facts that are being brought before you not people saying, well, I know exactly what they will do and exactly how to frame this case based on who's there in that seat. Being independent is what everybody should do. You shouldn't be able to predetermine what a Supreme Court is going to do. They should be following the law, upholding the Constitution. And you hear, look at this. On several occasions, Justice Hagedorn didn't do what we thought he should do. Now he's, quote, supremely unreliable. Maybe he should have been called independent and thoughtful,
2: right?
5: Reporting from Madison, I'm Zach Schultz for Here and Now.
2: Turning to Ukraine, it's now been a year since the Russian military invaded the country, forcing millions of residents there to abandon their homes. Here and now reporter Steven Potter has this story about how some of the Ukrainian refugees here in Wisconsin and the groups helping them are working to overcome new challenges.
6: We went uh, to bed and at 4.35. We just heard an incredible explosion.
7: On that first night of the invasion last February, Ukrainians Peter Sokor and his wife Ksenia were shaken awake by Russian missiles.
6: Because we were living uh, like three miles from the military base, so they just started bombing it.
7: With Russian troops closing in on their home near the country's capital of Kyiv, the Sokors made the decision to take their three young daughters and leave Ukraine. But they had to act fast.
6: We had just two hours to pick up everything we could take with us. It was difficult because uh, we had to leave our dog. We have a German shepherd.
7: Even as war erupted around them, Ksenia remembers being in
8: disbelief. And see like on the horizon the explosions and all this stuff. And from one point like a few, you can't believe it, and then you realize you need to do some something.
7: Traveling through Romania and Poland, then further into Europe, took the Sokor family of five about a month before they eventually made it to Mexico. After crossing the border, they were invited to stay with a family here in Wisconsin. Eventually, they secured their own apartment in Stoughton. The so-called story of lengthy travel and uncertain destinations is just like that of many other refugee families. When the refugees reach Wisconsin, they face a new set of challenges, such as finding housing, arranging schools for their children, applying for work permits, and in some cases, learning a new language. For recent refugees, like the Porishkov family of four, a number of community members and volunteer groups have come together to help.
8: We have English classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays in Mm -hmm. the evening. And we have a lot of volunteers, like different teachers, who see that we don't understand anything. But they are friendly and they explain a lot.
7: One of the groups working to help Ukrainian refugees is the Stoughton Resettlement Assistance Program. So far, the group has helped almost a dozen Ukrainian families who have moved to the area in the last year. These volunteers help the refugees apply for jobs, social security cards, driver's licenses, and health
3: care. It's become very overwhelming at times, but the payoff is the fact that we have people here now who we consider
7: family. Because many of the refugee families came here with nothing, they also rely on other community groups in Stoughton, such as food pantries and clothing banks. But the families still struggle with the emotional stress yeah. of leaving loved ones in their worn-torn homeland.
8: It's hard for me. I then just can't sleep. I have, like, bad dreams about my family, just uh, in the middle of the war.
6: I did not expect that uh, it would be hard for the youngest, because I was thinking that for young, it's much more simple to get accustomed. But she was crying a lot, and it was difficult for us, too.
7: Ilya Poroshkov stays up late at night to talk with his brother and father, who are still in Ukraine. Aside from the threat of war and violence, they tell him that their gas and electricity is often not working.
8: So it's really not easy to live there right now. It's really sad.
7: Another hurdle for refugees striving to be self-sufficient is obtaining a work permit. For Natalia Poroskov, who secured a permit and found work at a local flower shop, it happened quickly. But for others, like Peter Sokor, there can be complications.
6: While we are waiting for the work authorization, I decided to go and take some courses for programming. I'm on the second semester now, studying. And it's hard. but um, now I also started giving private lessons as a pianist.
3: We are covering a good amount of expenses for the families until they get back on their feet. They come here with nothing. Because the war has now stretched on for a year, donations have all but dried up. We've really had to actually stop sponsoring new families from Ukraine, which was a very difficult choice. Uh, because we have families here who are asking for additional family members to be sponsored and brought over but we really can't sponsor more people until we receive more donations. There is something they call giving fatigue where it just becomes um, a lot you know many people have donated so much that they anything they already could Um, and I think that the the war has gone on for a year now, and so it just, as it continues, I think people are uh, less and less able to help. Despite their current
7: financial struggles, the Stoughton Resettlement Group knows their effort is worth it to the
3: families. They're amazing, amazing families we have here. The kids, the, the parents, they come from different backgrounds and all walks of life, but in the end, they're just people who want a safe, Place to raise their family and to exist and to thrive. And the families who are receiving the help say they're
7: eternally grateful.
6: This group is just incredible for us. Uh, I would really say this is just a God's providence, how we met them. They helped us to rent this apartment. And when we came, they just prepared everything for girls, especially. Just, they're incredible people. Just That's why we're we so impressed by uh, Americans.
7: <laughs> for Here and Now, I'm Stephen Potter in Stoughton.
2: <laughs> for more on this and other issues facing Wisconsin, visit our website at pbswisconsin.org and then click on the News tab. That's our program for tonight. I'm Frederica Freiberg. Have a good weekend.
3: for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS
2: Wisconsin.